Welcome to Savage Minds. I'm your host, Julian Vigo. Today's guest is Carrie Black, who is a survivor of childhood sexual abuse and a campaigner for child protection and for the rights of women and girls. She is the mother of two children, and she lives with her wife in Northern Ireland. This summer, in the aftermath of the Spa incident in Los Angeles, Carrie wrote a Twitter thread about how to protect children by spotting predatory behavior. The police have been threatening to arrest her for these tweets. I welcome Carrie Black to Savage Minds. You came to discuss child sexual abuse this summer after the Spa incident, and you took to Twitter to voice something quite eloquent. Now, I'd like to begin with the topic of child protection, because you have a lot to say on this issue, and I thought that might be a good introduction to this show today. Um, my interest in child protection comes from, like many people in the field, comes from the fact that when I was young, before I even really knew anything about myself or who I was, I was sexually abused. And what happened to me in the wake of that and how I managed to recover from it. And that's where it comes from. That's why I talk about it. And I talk about it because every time I talk, my inbox is full of survivors of childhood sexual abuse telling me that they don't feel so alone now, that they were able to talk to somebody, that they've got the courage to go to therapy and that I've helped them. And that has been so healing for me as well. And I just want to say to every single person who's written to me, and there must there must be hundreds by now, I always write back to them and I always... It's so brave to say it for the first time. Well, there's a lot of taboos around this That's... subject. Something that your Twitter thread hit upon and it's it's almost like the trans issue in the sense like are we really arguing that pedophilia's not good because it's bizarre it's uh, beyond bizarre we're seeing the idea that sexuality including that of sexual sexual feelings towards children is part of the spectrum you know um, and i really have difficulty with the so-called left, because I, I put them in quote marks half the time these days. I don't believe they're at all leftists. None of these people are really socialists. They just like getting ka-ching for their speaking gigs about uh, recognizing trans rights, etc. Now, there's been in the, and I mentioned trans rights because it's a very important crossover that we see in the field within NGOs and the UN protocols that have been drafted over the past six, seven years, that trans rights have been linked to sexual exploitation rights. I'll give you an example. There are many UN agencies and NGOs that are in fact trying to empower 16 year old girls in one of the many economically developing countries to go out and do sex work. Now, you don't need to have a PhD to recognize that this is exploitative and there's nothing liberating about sex work, including the term sex work. But this is part of a larger drip, 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 where child protection has, in certain areas like NGOs in the UN, has rescinded some of its mission or mandate to protect children and in a certain age range, such as 16 to 18, allow for the cool factor of sex work is work. And when I saw this, uh, someone who works with the UN in women's rights alerted me to this back around 2016. And I looked into this a lot. 
And I was quite alarmed to see how the notion that children can be sexual is now part and parcel of a very international NGO platform. At the same time, our society forbids the discussion of this. I, I referred to the other day where I don't have it in front of me. Uh, I have to close my other programs to be able to talk without interruption with the uh, frequency here. But there was a case just four days ago where a man who raped his niece was given a lighter sentence, all because she was his niece. Like, rape is less if it's your niece. It is very bizarre, and this happened within the US or the UK. Now, we have these very outdated ideas about child sexuality. There seems to be a, a, a return to this notion that we're all just nat natural beings and we should all just roam the wilderness. And if children react to that, then there's no harm, no foul. And at the same time, we have major organizations doing this across the planet, especially in developing countries. And one thing that strikes me about this is that there's a complete disregard for children's rights by the very organizations that are ostensibly supposed to be protecting children. Why is this happening? Even it, it gets everywhere. And the way that people talk about preventing child, childhood sexual abuse is not right either. So I do some voluntary work with a local charity. I go out and um, help struggling families in my local community, um, children with additional needs and things like that, who's, or um, recent splits, multiple births. I go out and spend time with the families. And we did training from the NSPCC. And I don't know if anybody's heard of it, but it's called the pants training. And the basic bottom line of that is, you're not supposed to, to tell children, don't let anybody touch you under your underwear and tell somebody if you're being abused. And that training in itself is just so wrong-headed because it puts the onus on the child to safeguard themselves and children can't safeguard themselves. Most people know that there's a child who's at risk. I mean, when, when I was younger, everybody knew because they had me down as a bad kid. They had me down as a slut because I was climbing out of my window and going, getting fallen down drunk and sleeping with strangers. Like I, I, was, I became complicit in my, in my own abuse. And you can't tell a child like that, don't let anybody touch you under your underwear. It's completely mad. If somebody had told that to me when I was being molested, don't let anybody touch you under your underwear and tell somebody if you're being abused, I just would have felt blamed. I would have felt even more like it was my fault than I did at the time. And I think if I'd told, if you'd carried on talking to me about it, I would have probably said the same thing as those bastards told me that I'm very mature for my age. Do you know, I'm very mature for my age. It isn't children's responsibility to protect themselves. And the only way to protect children is to stand up to those men. And standing up to those men is bloody hard to do because they don't just groom children. They groom their whole family. They groom a community. So it's not like you're waiting for some flasher in the bushes and you're going to stop him putting his hands on his child like a real bad man like that and then send him off to jail. What you might be doing is breaking apart your whole family and nobody knows where any of those chips are going to fall. So I, I always stand staunch against molesters and I always look for red flags. Um, I'll give you an example of, of how you go about protecting children in your real life. 
And I'd, I'd really ask everybody to think about doing this in their own, in their own life. So I took my son to a, a mother and toddler group when I was quite small, both, both my boys. And a fella came over to them and started trying to engage them in a tickling game. Now, these are, these are sort of small village halls and you sit there and the, the kids go around and play with each other and the mums chat. And there's like tea and juice and toast and things in the middle of it. And this fella, he wasn't anything to do with organising the group, I found out afterwards. He didn't have a child there. He was just like a visitor to this mother and toddler group. Had no right to be there whatsoever. Now, that in itself, if you have a mother and toddler group and a bloke without a child turns up to it, tell him to sling his hook. So this fella went over to my kids and started trying to engage them in a tickling game before speaking to me, before doing anything else. And I had half an eye on them. And I said, I went over to them and politely said, excuse me, um, why are you speaking to my children? And he said, why are you so obsessed with sex? As long as he like slunk off out, out of the place, but even him being there should have set off the red flags. Like it shouldn't have been down to one of the mums to get rid of him. And that's what they do. They cross boundaries. They, they cross boundaries. And then when they find places where boundaries are easy to cross, then they push a little bit more and they push a little bit more. They look for children who aren't protected. They look for vulnerable children. They look for vulnerable families, single mothers, people in financial difficulty, people who let the kids roll about on the floor, on the floor with drag queens as though drag weren't an adult sexualized art form. They look for children who've already been abused. You know, and you, if you have firm boundaries in place and if you let everybody around you know that you have very firm boundaries in place and that you stand against this, then your children are safer. But if you tell your children, don't let anybody touch you under your underwear, it makes no difference whatsoever. I was apart on from a making bus a child in Germany bad, a few you know? years ago with my daughter and son and we couldn't all sit together. So I sat with my son since he was tiny and my daughter was the elder. And I always have her sit on the outside towards the aisle near me, right? Well, a man came on the bus and wanted her to move over. And I said, no, she's sitting here. And he said, well, I can't sit inside. And I said, there's 30 seats empty here. Go choose one. Uh, I worked in child protection within the UN in Haiti. And in that time, this was after the earthquake, when I worked on child trafficking, I developed pedodar, if you know what I mean. I have a very fine tune, pedophile dar. And I don't know how to put it nicely, but there are men who set it off. And I react to that. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but it is my prerogative to be wrong. If I was to always trust your gut instinct, like if something feels skeevy and wrong and like mm -hmm. you want it off your skin, really, you have to your instinct and look for look for red flags your there's instincts a are really whole important, school behind this however i remember when a friend of mine confessed that she had fallen out with her entire family because of her father's sexual abuse towards her and her sisters what did the sisters do they protected the father and she became in her own family persona non grata because she was the only one who spoke out about this and this is not uncommon as i'm sure you know The time. Why is there such a taboo within families to discuss the pedophile amongst them?
what these men do is they play the long game. So they are too good to be true. I mean, sometimes people really are just great. You know, sometimes they're a fabulous people, but sometimes a paedophile will do things like spending months and years being the perfect boyfriend and the perfect father and whatever to a single mother in order to get access to children. Sometimes they will even do things like get television shows and um, they will become community leaders, they'll become priests, they'll become teachers, they'll raise vast sums of money for charity, they'll work tirelessly on voluntary and community roles. And that person then gets a certain kind of power too. And who is it easier to side with? Is it easier to side with a person like that, who's actually strong and superficially charming and in a position of authority? Or is it easier to side with a victim of childhood sexual abuse? Most victims are broken in important ways and they are scattered and they are unstable and they are very often um, socially excluded, vulnerable people. And to stick up for somebody like that against somebody who is in a position of power, knowing that you too may then be, become excluded or may be victimized by this person, is really hard to do. I spoke about this on Twitter, about child protection, a thread about child protection. And I'm being interviewed by the police about it. I'm a woman who was sexually abused as a child, who wrote about it and wrote about how to protect other children on Twitter. And as a result of that, there's a possibility that before this conversation is finished, healers are gonna drive up onto my driveway, gonna knock on my door, they're gonna manhandle me into the back of a police car, they're gonna search me. They're gonna lock me in a room with a man that I can't leave. Now, I'm not afraid of that, but I'm a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. And it kind of hits differently under those circumstances, knowing that you might be arrested. And all of that is because I spoke out on this topic. And it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I, can't, I just can't, I, I can't, every time I think that it's happening, I just feel- We saw in the infamous case in the US around Larry Nasser, who sexually abused, I mean, people mm -hmm. really need to sit down to grip this because this is astonishing. For 18 years, he was the team doctor of the US women's national gymnastics team, in which time and before, he sexually assaulted what they know to be 265 girls. This is shocking. Now, when mm -hmm. the feminists talk about the patriarchy, whoa, I mean, one must really stall the brain for a moment to get to understand 265 as a number. At what point were girls listened to? Because we know at what point they were ignored, 265. Now, I had something happen to me Less than two years ago, I was talking with my wife one day and I was telling her about my childhood in Canada and how we lived in the countryside with Mennonites all around us in southern Ontario in Canada and grew up with houses being constructed all around us. Our house was one of the very new ones. Everywhere was new. We played in constructed houses, played hockey on the streets. And there was a neighbor near us and I had forgotten about this neighbor. I had forgotten about this neighbor until two years ago. And I, I remembered it 
And I said, holy shit. And she said, what? And I said, he paid me five cents to masturbate him. I completely forgot about this, Carrie. And I remember this, that he would do this systematically and take me into the cornfields to do so. Now, I blocked this out my entire life. I somehow was not traumatized by this because I didn't, I think the reaction to it, I eventually told my father, I remember my father getting angry about it, not at me, but it was, and I don't know what happened because I was eight years old and he was 19. And I just remember this. I remember this and it was like, how could I have forgotten this? And when it comes to crimes against children, that too is not so uncommon, I've come to understand. I'm, I'm half glad. I can't remember very much in the way of details about what happened to me. I can remember fractured images and I can remember the things that come flashbacks. I don't really even have very much of a clear memory all of the sex I've ever had with men as an adult. It's all gone. And I'm kind of glad about that. I'm kind of glad because I think if I could deal with it, then my brain would let me remember it. So I, I, I just think your brain's clever. And, and learning to instincts actually is so... In, instincts are one of the reasons as well why, um, why, child, why childhood sexual abusers are so evil because they take instincts from children they use their instincts against them and learning to trust my clever brain and my clever heart to protect me from what I need to be protected from and to keep me safe by keeping those details from me I think that's all right you know you you obviously decided that you were strong enough to we also moved shortly it, so after did. that and I think obviously that helped because I think if I had to continue seeing him that would have been devastating to my psyche makes me seriously well, I tried to look How him dare up his hands on you? because I have a friend in Yorkshire who was sexually abused in a similar way as a child and she went up to her aggressor's door when she was an adult knocked on his door he did not recognize her she was a grown woman and she said hello you probably don't remember me but you raped me when I was a child and I'm just here to tell you that I know where you live I know where you are and I'm watching you. And she left. Yep. I was like, wow, you've got chutzpah, you know? <laughs> and I am very concerned when I see what's going on, not just in social media. Social media is a manifestation of this, but this has been going on for all of human history where these kinds of taboos and violences towards children are now couched in contemporary culture within the West as being niche and cool. In fact, in your article, I'm going to jump there quickly, did an anti-pedophile thread bring the police to Carrie Black's door? You mentioned the long history of the slow drip ideology which attempts to normalize pedophilia from the children's sensuality circle, the Rene Guyon Society, etc., writing the point to make about 
all of the horrific things that these men say is that every single one is trying to provide a justification for the sexual abuse of children, trying to erode taboos against child, adult child sex, and amounts to grooming. Now, a lot of people think, yeah. oh, she's just conservative. You must be one of those right wing Bible thumping. And it's like, whoa, this is a bit demented. You referred to the children's drag queen hour and so forth. That's been the avant-garde of the pseudo left for the last few years. And you look at these images of Desmond, etc., and it's really hard to look at that and not think child abuse. But yet there's a whole tranche of people on the left arguing that this is just healthy, normal, anti-cis heteronormativity, blah, blah, blah. You've heard it all. What's going on there? There's a couple of points um, to come from that. So the first one is um, where that thread came from, which was the predator in the wee spa who was swinging his penis about in the women's changing room in front of women and girls. And that somebody came out against that and said that um, it was Laurie Penny came out and said, um, why didn't you just avert her eyes? And it just got under my skin. Avert your eyes? Really? Like, is that what we tell girls when people flash at them now? Do you know what I mean? And, and it was this blurring of boundaries. And I just saw that in the whole history of the normalization of childhood sexual abuse. The other thing to say about it is I don't, everybody else thinks different things about my politics, really. Um, I'm not particularly a political beast. I'm not like steeped in any of it. I am a mum with a couple of kids. I work a minimum wage job. I do the school runs. I mop my floor. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm not somebody who's deeply involved in all of that, but I had to speak out. I had to speak out and I had to speak up about it. Um, I don't really take opinions on an awful lot of things. Like I haven't taken any opinions because it's not it's not for me. I'm not. A, I'm just. I'm just a mum, you know. But I need to speak out on this. I need to say something because it matters and it matters to the children. I mean, these men are evil. They're evil. And this the other thing is the whole um, thing about maps, minor attracted persons, and virtuous paedophiles and all that. I do not believe that there are virtuous paedophiles. And even if there are virtuous paedophiles, I do not want them around children because anything to do with children for them is arousing. And, and they use children's instincts against them for, from the get-go. So children have an instinct for touch. Children want to be touched and held and loved and rocked. And they use that against them and they use it for their own purposes instead of for the child's. They use the fact that children love to be tickled against them. They use the fact that children, I mean, for God's sake, they use, you know, toddler, like babies have a sucking instinct. They use babies' sucking instincts against them. And they use the fact that children are designed to reach out with love against them. They use their instinct for play against them. They use the, the fact they like to be rough and tumbled in order to, instead of in order to develop the child and teach them about boundaries and to love them, they use it for their own sexual gratification. And if you do that, there is no way you can be around children. Like a virtuous paedophile might be somebody who had a thought, say about a teenage girl walking out of a school, saw a teenage girl walking out of a school, thought, oh, she's hot or whatever. And then thought, bloody hell, John, like she's in a school uniform. What's wrong with you, man? 
and then didn't think it anymore. That would be a virtuous paedophile. It'd be somebody who had a, a sort of instinct for taking, and, and I'd say that quite a few men do that. And it's it's not sort of beyond, it's not beyond the, re the realms of normality for a fella to look at a girl who's in late adolescence, but under the age of consent and think she's attractive and then go, no, she's on a school uniform, that's gross. Don't do that, dude. I think that's fairly normal. But once you go beyond that, there's a big, big process to go through from that thought till you actually are abusing a child. And where do you stop in that process? So that person then, they have to not repress the thought. Then they have to um, maybe seek things out, seek out pornography, seek out other people with a similar interest. Then they have to start grooming people. They have to start grooming adults and communities so that they can get access to children. And then they have to start grooming the child. And this is a process that can take decades from having that thought to actually abusing a child. And so there's no such thing. There just isn't such a thing as somebody who's a virtuous paedophile. A, vir a virtuous paedophile thinks, uh, no, that's gross, she's on a dress. She's on a school uniform. That's a virtuous paedophile. And they're, they're evil. They're evil. You don't, if, you, if you've been abused like that, you don't get a chance to develop your instincts properly. Like you, the instinct to be loved and held and rocked gets twisted up and it gets used against you and you lose a sense of who you are and it makes you question absolutely everything about yourself. Like I've done the work, I've remothered myself, I've written myself into being as a going human concern. But before I did that, I was falling apart. How did you I was find your way out of it? Quite a bit of therapy. And there were moments, there were moments in therapy where things started to resolve. I think the point of therapy is that they love you enough because I was, un I was actually unlovable. I was falling off the edge of the world. I was hypersexual. I was homeless. Um, I was just emotionally not even unstable. Just, I can't even really describe to you what the inside of my head was like. I didn't believe that I was worthy of love. I believed that I was to blame for what those men did to me. I'd taken their shame on myself. And I, I just, I drank and I used drugs and I was just falling off the edge of the world mad. And unlovable. There was no, there was no human being who was able to take me on unless they were being paid to do it. And what therapy did was it helped me recover enough. It helped me get to a place where I was able to give and receive love and care and human connection and where I was able to just reach out tentatively so tentatively and gently at first to other people and in fear and trembling and I got it so wrong for so long that I just I didn't want to be alone anymore I didn't want to be alone in my head anymore I didn't want to be in this corridor in my mind with a gale blowing down it and all these doors just doors and doors and doors. And behind every single door, there was a monster or a man without a face. And this gale howling down, howling down the corridor. And sometimes I would run back and forth trying to keep these doors closed because they kept creaking, creaking open and blowing open in the wind. And sometimes I ran out of energy and I couldn't keep closing the doors. So I sat on the floor and I pulled my knees up to my chest and I wrapped my arms around my legs. And I cried and I shook and the monsters came for me. 
and I was back in those rooms and that's that's how I lived that's what my life was like and I drank to oblivion because I didn't want to be in my own head I didn't want to be conscious and I, I was just falling off the edge of the world I couldn't function and I, I said that to my therapist that about the doors and my therapist said to me and I I love this woman for this I'll love her all my life for it she said um okay who's in those rooms though who's in those rooms with the monsters and the man without a face and I looked at her and I couldn't work it out I couldn't work out what she was getting at but I got there eventually and the person who was in those rooms with, with those monsters was little me I'd left little me in there and I'd abandoned her just like I abandoned just like everybody else in her life had abandoned her and I'd left her in there to face them alone and so with the help of my therapist I got the courage to open every single one of those doors and I wrote down what happened to me all from beginning to end in each of those rooms, those rooms that I had to escape, those rooms that followed me. And I went into those rooms and I wrote out from start to finish what had happened. And I said, I just, all the detail of it, everything I could remember, everything, wrote it down. And then I wrote it down again, only I wrote a different ending. The ending I wrote is what would have happened if me now had gone into that room back then and rescued that girl, what her life would have been like. And I went into every one of those rooms and I rescued her and I brought her back. And she's here now, she's here with me, she's in my heart. And I'm taking care of business, right? But she's in my heart and she's safe and she's protected and she's well-loved. And she plays in the garden with my boys. And I take her out on trips with my boys too. And she's here and I've got her back and she's got mine. And that's how I started to recover. <laughs> and then once that happened and I started to, to self-actualize and become who I am, like be my whole self, I met my wife. And she, I think, saw some strength in me. And she and I loved each other better. We really did. We loved each other better. And we continue to do it every day. And she is everything to me. And then when my boys came into the world, they came into the world with open arms. And I swore, I swore that my childhood would be, I would be the last person that my childhood ever hurt. And I swore that I would protect those children that, that they would be safe around me. And I don't make promises. I've made like five in my life, but I promised those children before they were born. And their home is full of love. And I, I didn't get love. I didn't get loved when I was little, not really. I got pockets of it here and there, but but mostly I was just alone. And I, I had to learn to speak the language of love as an adult. I had to learn how, how to do it all. And it felt like a strange country and it felt like a strange language. And I had to learn all the customs and I had to learn all the names. And I still feel like I speak it haltingly. It's never gonna be my mother tongue. But I'll tell you this, my children learned their language at my knee and their mother tongue is love and boundaries. And they speak that tongue with a fluency that I will never master. And they came into the world with their arms open and they healed my broken heart. And that is such a gift that they have given to me. So I'm doing my very best to raise young men who are going to be there my gift to the world. There is a disorder in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of, the, of Mental Health Disorders that classifies pedophilia as a disorder. 
Yet in recent years, there's been an avalanche of specialists from the fields of psychiatry and psychology who have argued that pedophilia is a sexual orientation like any other. And I'm referring here to a talk given by a Miriam Heine, who three years ago presented her talk, Pedophilia is a Natural Sexual Orientation, at the University of Würzburg in Germany, saying, according to current research, pedophilia is an unchangeable sexual orientation, just like, for example, heterosexuality. No one chooses to be a pedophile, no one can cease being one. The difference between pedophilia and other sexual orientations is that living out the sexual orientation will end in disaster. She went on to say that abusing children is wrong without any doubt, but a pedophile who doesn't abuse children has done nothing wrong. And she shifted the focus of her discussion to getting the audience to accept that pedophiles should not be encouraged to pursue their desire as it would harm them and increase their suffering. And she stated, we shouldn't increase the sufferings of pedophiles by excluding them, by blaming and mocking them. By doing that, we increase their isolation and we increase the chance of child sexual abuse. Now, I have seen no science to show this to be the case. There are people who work specifically on this topic. And it seems to me very problematic to make such claims when in fact this does nothing to advance the problem of pedophilia existing and being rendered invisible by commentary such as hers. Oh, it's on the spectrum of sexuality. Oh, he's only had thoughts, but he hasn't acted as if we know exactly what these men have actually done. So the reason that it's a disorder is that sexuality goes with instincts. That, I mean, sexuality is about instinct. That's where it comes from. And my sexual orientation is towards women and my instincts take me in that direction. Pedophilia is a disordered thing because it uses children's instincts against them. It's not, it's not instinctive. It's not, it, yeah, it is. It's, that, that, what a weird thing to say. And also the thing I'm more interested in is why is she saying that? What is it aiming towards? Are we to be like sympathetic to pedophiles? Are we to like, say, have a party and invite some fella over who's, who's a pedophile and is quite happily openly saying about himself that he's a minor attracted person because I really think that if you are willing to say in public I'm a minor attracted person but I'm a no contact person I'm a virtuous person I actually think that in itself is grooming because you're normalizing sexual attraction to children you're trying to say this is absolutely fine it's that's a, what a weird thing to say. I wouldn't be inviting her to babysit. Like I, I want firm boundaries, firm boundaries, where what we do with paedophiles is keep them as far away from children using whatever legal means are at our disposal, keep them as far away from children for as long as possible. That's it. And there's, there's quite a lot of evidence that paedophiles actually enjoy therapy because they like going to sit in therapy to talk about the crimes because they get off on it, because they feel like they're getting their almost 
manipulating and abusing the therapist by exposing them to what they've said. That's why they're, that's why many of them will the things I learned in Haiti. I wish I had never learned. To be quite honest, there are things I wish I could have unheard and unseen. The amount of grooming that goes on, even within child protection agencies, would make your jaw drop to the floor. My first week in Haiti, I not only found a child trafficking ring quite by accident, I also found that there were investigators within a certain NGO called Red R in the country to investigate pedophiles working within NGOs dedicated to child protection. I am not making this up. But no, it's, it's a perfect job yeah. for them because it gives them yeah. access. And, and then cover. my next two weeks in Haiti, each week, within three weeks, I had uncovered three child trafficking rings. I, I dealt with this by going to the Haitian police and to the UN. The head of UNICEF ushered me out of her door saying, we don't deal with that. I was like, what? I went to the Ministry of Health and Family, who is, uh, was at the time uh, this woman called Madame Pierre. And she said to me from the grounds, they were outside the building because the earthquake had happened and no one wanted to work indoors, even though the building itself was in perfect health. They were set out in various tents in the yard. And she said to me, child trafficking? We don't have a problem with that. And I looked at her and I said, you have got to be the most naive or corrupt person I have ever met. And I don't know which one, I suspect the latter. And all the people around me that heard me say that to her, just you could have heard a pin drop at that moment everyone stopped what they were doing and then i was followed by two people who had been working within the un for many years and they said we heard what you just said how did you figure it out we've been here for one of the i've been here for seven years and i just found this out a few months ago and i said is so obvious to me. I mean, you have a serious problem here. I've been in the country three weeks, less than three weeks, I think 20 days at that point. I've uncovered quite by accident child trafficking rings and nobody seems to want to do anything about it except the Haitian police. You know, I've got the head of UNICEF saying not an issue. It's insane. Later, I had a UN worker from UNICEF working under that director who contacted me and we worked on projects together because she was underwhelmed by her bosses inability to address the elephant in the room. And, and sure enough, it was revealed that it was this head of that ministry who was in charge of a major part of the trafficking in the country. You really have to wonder where our priorities are as a world civilization. When, and I'm referring to your thread now, you mention a very serious issue your tweet thread quite cogently speaks about childhood sexual abuse. Your thread is entirely rational and respectful. And you are accused of being a transphobe, something that the feminists have been saying for years, that there is a, a tie-in between these two lobbies. How on earth is it that people are not cluing into this? The reason that there's a tie-in is because gender ideology gives absolute freedom. I mean, what they want, they want access and they want cover up. And what it does to say that men can be women is it gives them access to women's spaces. It gives them access to children. 
and it gives them cover because you can't say to anybody anymore, why are you in here? This is stop them. Like, we have to do it for girls like I was. And we have to do it for girls like those girls you well, talked about. What's the currency for Laurie Penny to tell these girls to avert their gaze? She was supported by so many of her readers and her followers in a statement that was frankly vile. But I don't understand that. And it's going to be it's going to be women that win this because it's always women that end up winning it on behalf of children. But I don't know, I really don't know why she came out and did that. Like, and I don't know what's in it for the people on the other side. I feel like the man who has accused me, I think his currency is maybe that he just likes it. He likes to do it, but I don't know why Larry Penny came out and said that at all. I don't understand how, I don't understand how you could say it to a child who's being flashed at. It just makes no well, sense. Well, it's also a self-fulfilling prophecy. The harassment directed at you by trans activists and then by the police demonstrates one of the first tweets in your thread where you write, the sexual abuse of children thrives in the dark. Hence my reference to this being a self-fulfilling prophecy. Shut her up so it stays in the dark. You've been trying to shut me up. I'm a bit of a gobby well, lesbian, let's go really. To your tweet, because I read through it and I was very impressed by your eloquence and how you brought up so many truths of our cultural and social inabilities to deal with pedophilia head on. Your tweet makes reference, and it begins, it kicks off with the Y Spot incident, in showing the parallel to those who told women this summer that if they didn't want a man in their private areas to avert their gaze, enter Lori Penny's stage left. And you write, all a child abuser asks is that you politely look the other way, see no evil, don't cause any waves, wished. Just mind your business, wash your hands of it like Pontius Pilate. After all, it's only suspicion. He's harmless. Sure, he does loads for the community. Avert your eyes. Can you speak about this part of your thread? And this, this is what child abusers know how to do. They know how to go up to a line work out whether it's okay with going over that line, go over it, come back, play with the line and push the line. So for example, um, so they're, they're always watching the other adults in the room to see what they're doing and to see what they're observing. And you let little things go. So they might be in a swimming pool or something and chucking kids about and they might like accidentally touch the kids in the private parts or even not very private parts. They touch them on the bum or whatever to push them away, push them, give, chuck them about or whatever. They look around and see if any adults notice them doing this. And then they kind of normalize doing that bit. So they're always pushing them by the bum. And then the next thing is they're going to the changing rooms. They're always, always pushing. And what they're looking you to do as another adult in the room when you see those red flags, they're just looking you not to look. Just don't look. And they will give you every excuse in the world just not to look, make it really easy for you not to look. But the trouble is, 
if you don't look just once, like if you avert your eyes even just one time from them doing that, then you make it less likely that you're going to be able to intervene in the future because you increase your sense of complicity with the abuse that's going on. And you then you you then have to start to deny to yourself that it ever was abusive and you make excuses to yourself about that abuse. And it goes, it goes on and on and you get more and more complicit until you get to the stage of somebody who stays married to a paedophile who's been abusing their children for years and years and years. And they just managed to turn a blind eye to it all. They know, but they don't say it. So they're in denial. They're fine. You're listening to Savage Minds, and we hope you're enjoying the show. Please consider subscribing. We don't accept any money from corporate or commercial sponsors, and we depend upon listeners and readers just like you. Now back to our show. But it was shocking to see the way the Weisbach incident was handled, including handled by the media. I'll give you some examples. I covered this in a piece. On 9 July, Slate writer Evan Urquhart maintained that the Weisbach incident and the video was a hoax. And then several weeks later, Lois Beckett and Sam Levin from The Guardian claimed that the incident was, quote, distorted by anti-transgender groups and that the claims made by the women present were unsubstantiated. The writers then went on to claim that the protests, quote, offered a case study in how viral misinformation can result in violence and provided clear evidence of the links between anti-trans and far-right movements, including QAnon conspiracy theorists who believe that a cabal of elite pedophiles is manipulating the American government. Now, I reached out to Kubana Angel, who documented this. She was so brave. I, I love her. And I love what she said to the man who tried to be the Johnny do-gooder coming in to say, you know, to correct her, her language, her pronouns, but that's a transgender woman. And I loved what she said to him. The whole video is, I, I watched it about 30 times. I just kept laughing because she handed him his ass. And what shocked me about the handling of this from Slate and The Guardian is that they lied and then they went back and doctored their headlines to make it look after it came out that that man was actually a sexual predator they changed their headline on 9 july from violence over a transgender hoax shows the danger of underestimating anti-trans hate to violence over an alleged transphobic hoax shows the danger of underestimating anti-trans hate so they put the word alleged in the title after it came out that this man was a sexual predator and they didn't back down from their claims that this was an invention so what did i do it was really easy within 10 minutes of searching twitter i found someone who was there and not only was he there he filmed kubana angel filming the incident that we all saw and his name is bennett kelly He's a lawyer and political columnist, and his video corroborates everything. The video could not have possibly been a hoax. You might be able to fake a video, but you cannot fake a video while someone is making a video of you making a video. Impossible. So he wrote to Patricia Arquette, who tweeted about this and insinuated as well that it may have been a hoax. And he said, I was there. You know, I'm one of the people in line in the viral video. And he talked about this. 
So I interviewed him for the piece I wrote, which is up on Savage Minds. And I have to say that we still haven't received any kind of erratum or apology by these publications that outright lied about the story, which goes back to my initial question to you about why there's such a taboo about this. The taboo is also media generated. One must not, one must not, or one is a transphobe. And then you've got places being funded to run stories that appeal to this kind of ideology. So I have to wonder why the why spot incident was buttressed by lies from the media on the one hand, and then a whole cabal on Twitter coming on to accuse this woman of vile transphobia. She was called everything under the sun, but she stood her ground and she's made follow-up videos since. And people say, oh, but she's a conservative Christian woman. So, I mean, this is actually quite horrific if you think that people are now making the argument that you have no right to criticize pedophilia if you're anywhere right of center. What an absurd statement to make. I just wonder why people jump on to defend predators. This is something that's explicitly common within pedophilia. Why is it that we are now experiencing a rehashing of everything's just a body and if you have a specific problem with a body, it's your problem. It's not the person in the room showing his willy, avert your gaze. How did we get there? That um, sexual abuse thrives in the dark and everybody's just blinded by the rainbow. The rainbow is casting the shadow and everybody just thinks, oh, it's got a rainbow stuck on it and it must be okay. Um, and I think as well, people, there's a whole load of love in the world at the moment. Everybody's like, love your heads and all this. Um, I wrote a thread. We we're talking, I, most of my Twitter is silly, actually. Um, my Twitter started off, I, I used to be called Butch Women Are The Best because it started off as a list of reasons that I love my butch wife. Um, it's just silly. It's a silly Twitter. But um, it's got serious bits in it. And I was, I've lost my train of thought now. I was tweeting about... Um, I just entirely lost my train of thought. Never mind. Um, where were we? What was, it, what was I talking about? No, blinded by the rainbow. Yeah, and I, I think that as part of, there's a load of there's a load of love. That's what I mean. That's what I'm talking about. There's so much love for kids. I I tweeted about one of my children. Now I believe with children you have to let them have the natural consequences of their actions. So my son would have been maybe three or four, and he wanted this sandwich, like an extra sandwich. So I gave him the sandwich and then he fed the sandwich, because he'd already eaten, he fed the sandwich to the dog. And then he cried for an hour because he didn't have a sandwich anymore. <laughs> now I put this on Twitter and, and about like when giving people what they want isn't actually the loving thing to do, I was talking about. And somebody posted underneath, why didn't you just make him another sandwich? So I think we've got loads of love, but we don't have any boundaries with people anymore. And we need love and boundaries. We need both of those things. And I really feel like love and boundaries is the only thing that we can do to tackle all of this. Everything we do has just got to be filled with love and boundaries. Like 
in what circumstances do we need love and what circumstances do we need boundaries if you've got a girl um you know you've got a girl who says um I want to transition I want to take puberty blockers whatever you need to absolutely love her where she's at because she she obviously is desperately in need of love but you also need to set boundaries in place and say you can't take any irreversible actions you need a combination of the two things and and those boundaries with child protection I think people don't actually realize when boundaries need to be put in place and I did I did if you don't mind me talking briefly about um red flags and and the biggest red flags that people need to look out for if they want to be able to stop predators, perverts, paedophiles, child molesters, before they ever put their hands on a child, if they want to keep children around them safe or what they need to look out for. Um, and I've got a wee, like a wee sort of short list of things. Um, and I, do you mind if I just run through them? Because I'd, I'd be aware of them. So my first one is that um, if things are, if people are too good to be true, so we talked about that a bit before, like um, fella's been a perfect boyfriend and the white knight and everything else, um, and fella's like, raising loads for charity. And the worst thing is there are fellas who do that and they actually are great fellas, but it's the ones who do it to get access. Tickling games for me is always about the relationship between the adult and the child and how close and long-standing it is. So I always tickle my nine-year-old, but an adult approaching a child they don't know and immediately starting to try to tickle them as a red flag. Um, so a well-beloved parent, well-known family, friend, the child initiates the tickling game, it's no bother. Um, but just, just watch for ticklers and where on the body it happens is really important as well and how old the child is. I mean, there's no, there's no cause in my mind for an adult male to be tickling a teenage girl. There's no circumstances in which that's appropriate. Um, I think social orientation, these men orient themselves towards children instead of adults. And this is part of how they make themselves useful. So all the parents want to sit together and have a drink and this fellow will go and look after all the children, entertain them. Um, if you watch fellas in social situations, most fellas are tolerant of children and will give them time and engage with them if they're approached. But an adult male who seeks out the company of children and eschews the company of adults at a mixed event is somebody I would watch. Um, they're virtue signaling and obsessing about paedophiles. They all do it, they all do it. Um, there was an adult in my life who just used to bang on about Jimmy Savile, like just bang on about him because they like to make women uncomfortable by talking about the top topic but it's where their mind keeps returning to. I met a man at a conference once actually, and I said, um, I just said out to him, I was doing this thing on statement analysis, um, which is a scientifically dodgy form of lie detection. I mean, it's a useful tool, but it's not 100% reliable, reliable by any sort of means. So he, he asked what I was working on. So I said, I'm working on this statement from a paedophile. And this fella then spent about five minutes in a monologue about how disgusting and perverted paedophiles were. But then he went on to say that they need therapy and reintegration into the community. So if you're both virtue signaling paedophiles are bad and also saying paedophiles need help and understanding, that is such a big red flag. Like I certainly didn't invite him to babysit. Um, so virtue signaling around paedophilia and they'll even say things like, I can't possibly babysit because I don't want to give the wrong impression. Only then two weeks later is babysitting three nights a week. So there's a difference between boundaries and virtue signals and 
virtue signals like move and boundaries. I have two children and pre-pandemic, God forbid I would have a life now, but pre-pandemic, I would take a childminder or a babysitter when I needed to have my children cared for. It was very rare because my children were very young and I rarely left them with anyone. So I found a sitter when I was in London. But once when I had to go to Brighton to give a lecture at the university there, it was an all day conference, I had to depend upon a childminder. So I left, I only had one child at that point. I left my daughter with her and I said, okay, I'll be back here by six o'clock, great. So all is good. Gave my lecture, sat in on the other lectures. It was a lovely day and I'm leaving the lecture hall and I get a message on my phone saying, I have an emergency, can you come earlier? That arrived an hour before. I call her up, this is the childminder who had written me. And I said, well, I'll come right now. And she said, well, we've had to leave. I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, my ex-husband has died and I've got to go and identify his body in the mortuary. It's an emergency. And I said, well, he's dead. It can't be that much of an emergency. She was, oh, she had just told me she was in the park, crossing a large park in Brighton with her adult son and my daughter. I was very alarmed by this. Uh, it went against child protection rules, even within her own guidelines of what childminders are supposed to do. This was not an emergency. I'm sorry to be crude here, but a dead body is going nowhere. So I, I had to grab a cab, go and find them in a park. And when I saw that her adult son was there with my daughter, I was, what the actual fuck? Now, whenever I've had to have people take care of my children, they are female. And since that incident, I, I would ask for a DBS check. Now this might seem severe for people, but the world we live in is not what it seems to many people. And you do, as you mentioned, you become vulnerable when you're a single parent, you become vulnerable when you're a busy parent. And most parents are busy these days. People who want to predate children are experts at it. Again, another sad lesson I learned in the UN. Who would think the UN and NGOs working on child protection would be chock full of pedophiles? Go figure, easy access. Now, there seems to me to be a blind spot as to this phenomenon, because as you know, many people think that feminists talk too much about rape, that women like you talk too much about pedophilia. They might even accuse you of projecting your own experiences onto all men, not all men. Why? are people so reticent to discuss this, especially since pedophilia happens to also involve boys? Because it's hard, like it's hard. And not only is it a really difficult and horrible topic to discuss, like what do you say to somebody who discloses sexual abuse to you? What most people say to me is, I'm sorry, but like, what can you possibly say like you don't want to talk about it it's not a nice topic to talk about for a start and then once you've got over the fact that it's not a nice topic you've then got to face the fact that knowing about this topic puts a responsibility on you like it gives you work to do and it's not easy work either like it's work that involves taking the side of people with no power over people with power and standing up like it it, it requires that you either be a bit brave or that you don't do the right thing that you do something 
less than stand up for those people. So it, it's just, it's difficult. It's difficult to think about. It's difficult to talk about. It's not nice as well, because I mean, some people, some people are married to these men. One of the things that I am absolutely proudest of that I have ever done in my whole life, there is a two, there's two messages in my inbox from women who read my threads. I'm going to get choked up when I talk about this. I can talk about everything else, but this chokes me up. Um, there are two women who are in my inbox who read my threads and realized that the man that they'd moved into their house or the man that they were going to move into their house had all the red flags and was grooming them and was grooming their children. And so there are children who are sleeping safe in their beds tonight because I was brave enough to speak. It's, it's phenomenal how many people have this blind spot for this and others do. They see it clearly as you have. But there's a cross section of interests here. We mentioned it earlier on, but I'd like to address that specifically now. You mentioned boundaries, and there's a common thread between what trans rights activists are trying to do to women and what pedophile apologists, let's call them that, to include pedophiles, are doing to erode the boundaries of parents and children. You were called a transphobe. You were accused of transphobia all over the place about your tweets. Can you discuss what you think drove your being called transphobic? Response to the Weisbar incident. And I think they think that any opposition to that is transphobic. They also just think like by my very nature, I'm transphobic. And it just, I mean, it's honestly laughable to me. When I was at university and I was the LGB officer at my university, I campaigned very hard to have the T added on to the LGB. That was in 2002. So it was like years and years and years before Stonewall added the T. Like I was, a, I was always in favor of the inclusion of the T, but back then the T meant um, essentially dysphoric, gay men, dysphoric lesbians, who as a last result, as a last resort to deal with their difficulties, transitioned. You know, it wasn't children, it wasn't adult heterosexual males. And I, I just didn't see that that was coming in. And I, I just, I don't understand how you can call me transphobic. I'm, I would, oh, it's mad. I'm, I'm a lesbian, right? So I don't fancy fellas very occasionally. I will be walking along the street and I'll see a fella and I'll think like, oh, he's, he's a bit of all right. And then I'll go, what? And I'll think, why, why am I thinking that about a fella? And that, then I'll go, oh no, I've had this conversation with myself before. So I'll look again and it's always a fella who's short and has narrow shoulders and only a little bit of beard growth and wide hips and small hands. And it's always a trans man whenever I look back. And I'm not, I'm not transphobic. I'm just, how can you be transphobic? When you, I don't, I don't get it. Like, huh? I think they think it's transphobic to not say to trans people, yes, you can have everything you want and just get off women, there of you the go. I think one of the issues at the heart of this is how boundaries are policed amongst the most vulnerable and the most vulnerable in our society today and forever has been women and children, both because of physical size largely because of physical size and because of economic weakness. Now, I have to wonder, because this comes up in the trans discussion as well, 
where we notice that men are not being called front noodlers, men are not being told prostate havers, but women are. We are being denigrated down to little bits and pieces of our anatomy. And we're seeing that in the case of pedophilia, where boys and girls are in almost equal measure being sexually exploited and raped, that this is a taboo subject. Now, I have to wonder if this might be because of the hard kernel of misogyny, where women are seen as not only being sexual, but they're seen as being sexually exploitable. And there is a taboo to discussing boys being raped. We saw this in the US with what the Boston Globe did to the Catholic Church around priests. There is a taboo to speak about child sexual rape, I think, because it involves boys and men don't want to discuss it. In the same way that there's a taboo for women to say, he's a man in a dress, I'm sorry, men can't become women. Language matters, a current debate happening on Twitter. And those trans advocates and some feminists who say, but my friend, you know, she's really nice and she's a true trans, all those others are not. And we begin to see that there's something wrapped up in the way that they use language to try and portray whether it's the good trans, the true trans, or the good pedophile, it's language that is encapsulating this narrative being pushed forward. So Carrie, can't you just sympathize with your neighbor and he's a reformed sex offender of children and he's fine now, okay, believe me. So how can we resolve this issue where those discussing women's rights within gender ideology or people like you working on child protection are not sidelined by the woke karate who say, oh, you're just a conservative Bible-thumping woman. How do you get around that? Well, it's difficult, isn't it? My approach is to speak the truth from my heart and to be boundaried and fierce. And if you're speaking the truth from your heart and you're able to be both vulnerable and fierce, then it's difficult to speak in opposition to you. Like if you're right as well, do you know, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to stand up to somebody who's doing that. And it certainly worked for me um, with my own children and children in my life. Like people have tried to say to me, um, I'm just thinking of situations where I've protected my children. People have tried to say to me what you said earlier about like overreacting and all that stuff. But if you just plant your feet and stand firm about it and let them say what they like, then they can. And I, I'm speaking there. I'm, I'm not speaking as a person who has a plan for how to do this nationally or globally or anything else. I'm just talking as a mum who knows how to protect her own children. And people, if people want to say protecting your children makes you a Bible-thumping Christian, whatever, what I'm going to say to them is, fine, okay, but you're not babysitting. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it's, a red, it's a red flag. And people can believe what they want, but it won't be true. Do you know what I mean? I actually, I don't mind what they think of me for protecting children. If somebody says to me, you're a bad person for trying to protect children, if somebody says to the police, it's criminal that she's trying to protect children, you need to go and arrest her. I actually don't care. Like, I'm going to plant my feet, stand firm, and I'm going to do the right thing. 
that's what I'm going to do because like I, I will not be moved on this I'm doing this for little girls like I was and I have to I have to do it for little little me who's safe in my heart because every time I do it I'm speaking up in protection of her specifically and I have to and I'm speaking up for my own children too and I, I just you just if they want whatever they want to say about me because of it that's fine just there let them say it because I'm doing it that you put out after the Y spot incident one from the 6th of July and another one that came, I believe, three days later, where you discuss child sexual predation. Which one got you into the biggest pot of hot water? It has been reprinted on, um, on the blog. The one that went into the history and it named a few individuals who um, who had made statements that I found concerning. I called them out. It was that thread. I said, right, can you come down the station, please? And I said, like, what? What is it over? So um, they said they wanted to interview me about my Twitter account. So I said, well, what have I done? Because I'm always like, I speak from my heart and there's no hate in my heart. So like, I've not, I know I haven't said anything. You can go through but that's why I haven't locked down. Everybody keeps telling me to lock my account down because they're gonna find like tweets from me, but I haven't made any tweets like that. So like whatever, let them look, carry on, see what evidence you can find of hate on my account. Good luck to you. But I said, Well, look, which tweets is it? And they said, um, they would reveal it all when I got down to the station and not before. So I said, Right. I said, What if I don't come down to the station? And the policeman said, um, if you don't come down to the station, then we are going to come and arrest you. And he says, we don't want to go down that road, do we, like that? So I said, all right, well, I'm going to speak to my solicitor. Didn't have a solicitor <laughs> at the time, but I made out like I had one at my elbow. Um, said, I'm going to speak to my solicitor um, and I'm going to get back to you. So yeah, I spoke to and my solicitor. Have you heard back from the police since they threatened to come and arrest you? And then on Friday, I went up to Belfast. I spent, I spent two days writing a speech, basically, and then went up to Belfast and delivered this speech, which um, essentially I threw the gauntlet down to them, said, if you want to arrest me, come and arrest me. Um, there were actually policemen there. There's a bit in the speech, you can see it in the video, where I actually held out my hands and said, here I am ready for them to put the cuffs on, like theatrically. And there was a couple of policemen standing there and I actually held my hands out to the policemen that <laughs> no, were standing brilliant. there. I can't believe I did it. Brilliant. But um, yeah, that was that was the thing. Um, and then I've been away for the weekends. I've been um, touching base Where are we with in terms of women. laws and protection of children? There needs to be obviously more rights for policing and prosecuting these criminals. And instead, in recent years, we're seeing, like that TED talk I just mentioned, we're seeing more and more people from the passionate left come out and say, we just need to understand them. Here is with whether the laws are right or not. I think the issue is with how the laws are prosecuted or not prosecuted. Um, I don't think the way that the police go about it is necessarily 
helpful and certainly the Crown Prosecution Service and the courts have really messed up views about paedophiles. Some of the things that judges have said are absolutely outrageous, for example. And I think that people in the dark, if, if you've got somebody up in the dark and you've got a witness in there talking about what happened to them, one of the impacts of childhood sexual abuse is that it makes truthful accounts sound like lies because they're so full of holes and they're so like dissociated and scattered and they don't come in the right order and things get misremembered and things from one place get put in another place, two incidents can get conflated. And this is just the after effects of the fact that sexual abuse is a dissociative, it causes dissociative states. And even though that person's telling the truth, they're not only in bits, probably, they are also dissociating and they may, dissociate from what they're saying in order to be able to say it. So you can tell there are people who've recovered enough from their abuse to be able to talk about it, but they'll talk about it like they're talking to you about the weather. They will dissociate entirely from the emotion because feeling it is too big and too painful. And that makes them sound like a liar too because they sit there and talk about being abused so in such a flat manner. Um, and that what are your next steps in convict. dealing with what's happened? Are you going to make a complaint against the police? Because this is a form of not only harassment and robbing you of your right to freedom of expression, but they are actually trying to shut you up about what is a well-known and well-pervasive crime within society today. I have a plan. <laughs> a plan to plan. I am meeting with a brilliant group of women tonight who are going to help me execute it. My target isn't just stopping this complaint against me and making it going, go away. I feel like there's really some momentum for me to try and have this man stopped through legal means. So I'm going to pursue that. Um, I am also... I've got other plans as well, but I'm not going to say things about them. I've, I've got I've got Stonewall in my sights and the Diversity Champion Scheme, and I have the Police Service of Northern Ireland in my sights too. If I'm really honest with you, what I want to do is I want to knit my wedding dress, and I want to spend time with my kids, and I want to brew my wine, and I want to love my wife, run my business, live my life and raise my kids in peace. Like, that's what I want to do. But... I can't, so I've got to do this instead.